Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we think again about the Bible on women and men, and we start with the correct understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. Today, we'll be hearing from Bruce C. E. Fleming, founder of the True 316 Project. He's a former academic dean and professor of practical theology. The foundation of the True 316 Project is based on the research of Dr. Joy Fleming, who wrote the book, Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 to 3. Do you know what the 11 Hebrew words mean that God spoke to the woman in the Garden of Eden? Bruce and Joy put that and more in the Book of Eden, Genesis 2 to 3. We invite you to get a copy today and make sure you have a solid foundation for understanding the seven key passages on women and men in the Bible. It turns out when Genesis 3.16 becomes clear, all the other passages become clear too. You can learn more at our website, true316.com. That's tru316.com. And now enjoy today's episode of The Eden Podcast. This episode is a replay from my recent interview conducted by Sheila Ray Gregoire on her Bear Marriage podcast. Sheila is the author of The Great Sex Rescue and the blog To Love, Honor, and Vacuum. She has a great way with words and is an interviewer who keeps me on my toes. In this interview from her episode 111, we discuss the passage covered in my new book, Beyond Eden, Ephesians 5 and 6. And she asks especially about the question of head. Here we go. I have on the podcast Bruce Fleming again. Bruce joined us a couple of months ago now, I think, when we were talking about Genesis 3. And I had so much positive feedback from that. Everyone's been saying, what does Bruce think of head when it says that that man is the head of the wife? And so I have Bruce Fleming back on. So hello, Bruce. Hello. Thank you, Sheila. Yes, I know I've had so many requests for you. So this is great. So today I gave you free reign to decide what we were going to talk about next. And you thought the Ephesians 5 passage was the most important to deal with first. I like to get a detailed answer from a detailed passage. Mm-hmm. So there's talk about heads in 1 Corinthians eleven three, and in Ephesians 5, 23. Mm-hmm. The more detailed passage is in, in Ephesians chapter 5. So okay. if we can go there, that's I'd like to go there first. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) On the Eden podcast, we go into, in Genesis season one, we we talked about the Garden of Eden and how people aren't understanding the two parts where God says to the woman, you're going to have two things. You're going to have sorrowful toil and you're going to have conception. And, And my wife, Joy, Dr. Joy Fleming, showed how that's linked back to the verse before it and the verse after it. So we've got those two things. Well, when she did that, I began looking at the New Testament, and I said, this, this, is, uh, this influences how I look at the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so she said, great, you know, let's, let's see what that means. So in Genesis 3.16, we don't have a curse on the woman, and we don't have God saying to her, I'm going to put him over in charge of you, even though he's the rebellious one. We don't have any of that. Right. So that's that's in season one of the Eden and Genesis and Genesis three sixteen again is the verse that we often mistranslate as like yeah. her desire will be to sort of rule over the husband or take authority from the husband and but he shall rule over you and weird weird stuff's going on there. <laughs> that's, that's why that's why we did a whole book 
And we put yes. out the, the Book of Eden and we, we got that clarified, I, I hope. Yes. And I'll put a link in the podcast notes that go along with this podcast to the original podcast where you dealt with the Genesis 3 to say that, no, God did not curse the man. God did not curse the woman. And this whole idea that he is going to be over her um, is not a curse. It's just saying that's what right. that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then in season two, we went through this and we talked about, and I have the word beyond, mm-hmm. beyond Eden, because the great unity that you have in the in the Garden of Eden, where they're naked and unashamed, mm-hmm. and, and they're in a great relationship with God and with each other, Paul really goes uh, beyond that. And he says in Ephesians chapter five, I'm talking about this great mystery. And in the New Testament, a mystery is something that was previously hidden but now is revealed. So he says, we could call it revelation. So I'm talking about this, not just a revelation, but this great revelation. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I hit that verse in Ephesians 5, 32, I thought, oh, I, now I know what this whole passage is about. He's talking about this great mystery, Christ and the church. But people have said in their headings and the way they print the Bibles, they say, no, this, this whole passage up to, up to that verse is about marriage. Yes. And it's about him being over her and all kinds of things. And so what I had to do is I had to say, I don't know what this passage is about. I'm going to go back and start with Ephesians. So mm-hmm. there are six chapters in Ephesians. And mm-hmm. the first three chapters, that's a good theological section. The last three chapters, that's a good practical section. Yes. And in Greek, he says, therefore, walk, as he starts chapter 4, verse 1. Mm-hmm. And then a few verses later on, he says, therefore, walk not. And then he says, therefore, walk. Therefore, and I thought, I, I've got a pattern here. Therefore, walk not. Therefore, in 5.15, therefore, walk very carefully. And in 6.10, he says, therefore, stand. So we've got okay. five walks and one stand. I think that counts. So we've yeah, got yeah. six sections. So if I'm interested in the last part of Ephesians 5, I have to start with 5.15 and go all the way through 6.9. Even though there's a big number 6 there, like there's a chapter break, his whole section really starts at 5.15 and goes to 6.9. Right, because those chapter breaks were put in later. They were not put in by Paul, just so everyone knows. Centuries, centuries later, and then they tried, and they did a pretty good job, but not, not in this case. So then I go to 5.15, and I say, I want to get... I want to get into the middle of this passage, but I got to start at the beginning. All right. What happens in 515? He has four sets of commands. He says, therefore, do this, but don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do this. Don't do that. And then he says, the, the fourth one is, be being filled with the Spirit in 518. And what he's developing now is a pattern of fours. And I like Sherlock Holmes, and he has, he has an episode called The Sign of the Four. I found my sign of the four. And in those first four The fourth one is the bigger one, the most important one. And not only that, he takes that fourth one and uses that and elaborates on it in another pattern of fours that opens in 519A. So he's got 19A, 19B, 20, 21, four more. Uh And the big idea is in verse 21, which has to do with submitting yourselves one to another. But then he takes that and he opens up that concept in 21 and he goes all the way down to verse 6, 9. All of the rest of that passage is about 521. Yes. How do you submit to one another? Yeah. yeah. And, and so that's great. Then he's got the pattern of fours going again. He says, as Christ in 23B, as Christ in 25B, as Christ later on, just before 20, 29B. And then he, he hits us with the big fourth one, which is, I'm speaking about Christ in the church. Just as the husband and wife were one flesh, I'm saying that the the church and the body of Christ are one flesh. Still, I'm looking for this head body 
what what does that mean? And I went back to Ephesians 3, and I came up with this verse in Ephesians 3, 6. So he says that the non-Jews should be joint heirs and a joint body and joint shares of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what he's talking about is this joint body metaphor. In Africa, I was working on this. We were in a little uh, Bible institute in the middle of the jungle. And uh, it was pretty quiet. And I was standing outside the front porch, just looking down, thinking about this husband as the head of the wife. And I noticed a train of ants walking across the corner of our step. And they have, they have big ants out there. <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, those ants are made up of a joint body. They have the head, they have the abdomen and the thorax. They've got three different parts. No one part of the body is the body, but all three parts together make a joint body. Mm -hmm. Now, humans have a two-part joint body. We have the head and we have the torso. So if I'm going to call, if I'm going to talk about a unity of the husband and wife in the Garden of Eden, I'm going to say they were in one joint body, one whole marriage together. And the same thing now is in, in, in the book of Ephesians where he says, I want to talk to you about a unity. I want to talk about husbands and wives being joined together. And I want to talk about something even more important, and that's the Christ and the church being joined mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. So if we start back now in 521, which is going to launch the rest of the passage, he takes the verse to submit and he redoes it. And you've gone into this previously before, I know. The big thing about 1 Corinthians 11.3 and Ephesians 5.25 is that people go there looking for two key words. They look for submission and they look for headship. Right. There was a missing link that was talked a lot about where people say, what's the missing link between the ape and humans? What's that missing link? Well, the missing link is still missing. There are two missing links now in 1 Corinthians 11.3 and Ephesians 5. Headship is missing and submission is missing. Neither one is in either of these passages. But if we come to Ephesians 5 thinking it's all about marriage and we mm -hmm. think it's about headship and we think it's about submission, then we get off the track and we get ourselves into trouble. So what is it about? It's about it's about the headship of of Christ in the church. Yes, it's about well, not the headship. It's about the unity of Christ in the church. Okay. Christ and the church are united, and they are not they are not one part better than the other. So then Paul takes takes it all, and and here's where I was I was laying on the floor of my office here some years back, and I was looking at the ceiling up above, and I was trying to reflect on this, and all of a sudden it hit me. Paul has built the second half of Ephesians 5 like Genesis chapter 3 was built. There's the two main ideas, and then there's a link up and a link down. And in Ephesians 5.25b, he says, Jesus did these two things for us. Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for it. Mm -hmm. now, Paul is an Old Testament scholar. He, he knows his scripture, and he's got it right. And so he takes this illustration, the way it's built in 316, and he says, oh, just as Christ gave himself for the church, and he links that back up to 523b. And then Christ loved the church, he links that down to the, the section below it. So we've got a one, two, three section with two main ideas being illustrated. And the two ideas are how Christ loved the church and how he gave himself up for it. Right. So it isn't really now the only thing okay, here, here, I'm going to push back a little bit. So I, I've, I've argued this as well, is that the whole idea of how Christ relates to the church in that passage isn't about authority. It's about love and service and how he gave himself up. But then people say, but yes, but Christ is an authority over the church. Christ is the Lord of all. Mm -hmm. 
And you might want to find that idea in some other passage, but it's not in this passage. Right, because you would see it in Philippians 2, for instance, where it's like every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But what you're saying is, yes, that's true, but it's not, that's not the point of this passage. Right. In Ephesians 2, he emptied himself. He, you know, he emptied, you know, gave himself up. No, in this passage, the main point is Christ and the church are one unit. So he's trying to explain that main thing. And he he builds two sections around it. The first section is this three-part, as Christ, as Christ, as Christ. And the second part is, is as the husband and wife, as parents and children, and as masters and slaves. All of it is rotating around the very center, which is 532. Right. So the, his big idea is 532. If we get that, the great mystery of the unity of, of Christ and the church, then we understand the rest of the passage. Okay, so so the only way to under, to understand how Paul was talking about marriage is really to look at what Paul meant by Christ in the church. That's what you're saying. That's right. If uh, <laughs> there there are there are a couple of quotations in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Corinthians 11 that I like to put quotation marks around. Uh-huh. 1 Corinthians 11 four to six, you put quotation marks around it and you realize that those aren't Paul's ideas. He's res- responding to those ideas. You yeah. go to first Corinthians 14, 34 and 35, you put quotation marks around them. Those aren't Paul's ideas. He's responding to those ideas. Yeah. In Ephesians, I think we need to put a parenthesis around several parts. If you look at uh, the middle of 530, uh, 523, the first part where the husband's ahead of the wife, you can put a parenthesis around that. The beginning of 525, you can put a parenthesis about that around that where it says, husbands, love your wives. And the same thing with the third section. Why? Because he's trying to give us a, peri- a, a an idea, the pattern of fours. He says, submitting yourselves one to another mm-hmm. in the fear of Christ. Then he says, as Christ gave himself up for the church, himself, the Savior. Mm-hmm. And then as Christ loved and gave, gave himself. And then as Christ loved. So the main thread of that is as Christ, as Christ, as Christ, and then Christ and the church are one. Along the way, he does talk about husbands and wives in one unit. He does talk about husbands, love your wives. And he does talk about love your love yourself, take care of your body. Mm-hmm. But from 526 on, he's not talking about marriage anymore at all. He's talking he's very clearly, he's all about Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. So that we've gone to that passage and we've said, tell me more about marriage and uh, tell me about submission. Tell me about headship. And so we've pulled that idea, but we've really poured that idea into the passage. He's not talking about that at all. Okay. Interesting. So the, the whole concept, like the word headship isn't actually like, it's kind of a made up term. Like there, <laughs> like there isn't, there isn't really such a thing as headship because it's, it's building this whole doctrine of of authority around something where Paul was trying to make an an analogy of how Christ relates to the church, right? Is that what you're is that what you're saying? If you go back to this submission that he takes apart and rebuilds in 521, mm-hmm. instead of saying that we must submit to somebody who is over us and and uh, and we're under, so there's an over under submission, a vertical submission. And that that's what the word means all over. He takes it and he rebuilds it and he says, no, submitting one to another in the right. fear of Christ. Mm-hmm. And he also, that's the pattern of fours. There's a parallelism with 519a where he says, speaking to one another. Mm-hmm. And there, and if you look in Colossians 3.16, he uses that same phrase and he says, 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Mm-hmm. All right, so we can fill in that speaking and make it out. That's a simple word, but we have more details from Colossians. So we're speaking, we're teaching and admonishing one another. Now, if I'm being filled with the Spirit and I'm teaching and admonishing one another, and the parallel to that is submitting ourselves one to another, what am I submitting to? I'm submitting to the teaching that I'm getting from other Christians, and I'm submitting to the admonishing or the corrections I'm getting from other Christians. That's not about marriage at all. It's about old and new, male and female, all of us in the body of Christ, we're teaching what we know or we're reminding people about what we what we know, and we're correcting, and then we're submitting ourselves one to another. So there's a beautiful unity, just like the heart pumps out the red blood, and then it comes back as the purple blood. You know, we've, we've got the whole system functioning together. So we have this uh, sum- teaching and submitting working together. We have the correcting and submitting working together. That's what's going on in 19A and, and 21. I've heard that before too, that part of submitting is, is listening to others and, and listening to, and, and being open to their admonishing. So I've heard that from other people too. I really like that. I, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that in today's culture, we have such a preoccupation with power and authority. And so we tend to read that into the scripture, whereas And in Roman times, they did as well. I mean, it was a very power dominant society, but Jesus specifically said that it was not to be that way with us. You know, the son of man came not to serve, not not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Like it, what, like we're not supposed to be aiming for power and authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so Paul enters into that. And I feel like in his writings, he's continuing that thought of Jesus that it's about how we relate to one another. Like the only place that I've found in scripture, and we don't need to go there necessarily, but where Paul actually talks about authority in marriage is 1 Corinthians 7, where he says it's shared. <laughs> you know, the husband doesn't have authority over his body, um, but yielded to the wife. The wife doesn't have authority over her body, but yielded to the husband. So the authority is completely mutual and shared. And that's the only time he actually talks about authority. Other than that, it it really is this idea of serving and submission in different ways. So I'm, I'm involved in pastoral training. That's the kind of ministry that I've done all my life. And if we're teaching pastors, we're trying to teach them, how does the church function first? Mm -hmm. Now, one of the practical things is how does the household function Mm-hmm. And what he does starting on 533 is he says, I got three more points here that are balanced off by what was just said before. I'm talking about the husbands and wives. And there, there's nothing except we've got a mutual relationship going there. He, he takes a hook and he goes, takes the word fear and he goes back to 521, which is the fear. So he's saying, right. see, I, see, I'm referring to this mutual submission. And so we have the husbands and wives and some people put a word obey in there. But that's not at the at the end of chapter five. There's no, nothing about obedience. Then he moves to chapter six, and he does use the word obey. He says, children, obey. And he yeah. says, servants, obey. Yeah. So he's got, but each time he tries to undo it, at, very, at the very end, he says, uh, servants, you got to do it this way. And then he says, and masters, you do the same thing. Yeah. Well, that's that's outrageous. How could he say masters do the same thing? And mm-hmm. and people get hung up in, in six, four, where they say this is fathers are in charge of the whole house. Mm -hmm. But that very word for fathers is used in Hebrews where it talks about the parents of Moses. In in Greek, it's pateras. These these parents of Moses, you know, how they raised him uh, when he was uh, 
you know, they had to put him in the, in the bulrushes and, and mm-hmm. they took care of him. So those parents of Moses were faithful. And in this way, 6-4, it says, parents don't provoke your children to wrath, not, not fathers. Mm-hmm. So we've got mothers and fathers in 6, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. We've got in a multiple, in, in, a, in a, a united relationship between the two, a reciprocal relationship. Now, children aren't always children. They grow up and they can become adults. And slaves aren't always slaves. A lot of times they could have been liberated when the Jubilee year came around or read the book of Philemon. So as long as they are, though, they're in that relationship of obedience. But Paul says, no, I want you to treat each other the same way because we are united. We're in one body in Christ. So we've got those three illustrations after 532. We've got three illustrations before 32, but he's just pounding on this idea of 532. Christ and the church make one unity and we are, it's even better than the relationship we had in the Garden of Eden. It goes beyond Eden. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. So you're just saying head is literally head. <laughs> just like the ant, you got the you got the head, you got the body, and they're both together and they're joint. And that's the whole point of it. Yeah, we don't get any farther abstract than that. So some people say, well, head means, well, no. If you can't say, I've got my wife and myself, we are joined in the flesh in one head and one body, we can't do that. So we have to take it figuratively. But there are different levels of abstraction when you go figurative. And if you can take the simplest level of abstraction, that's the best. So what's the simplest? Well, we've got a head, we've got a body, the two go together, we have one unit. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. So if the simple sense makes sense, seek no other sense. People don't like that or they don't they didn't realize that was an option and they go farther for something more abstract. So they say, well, it means head means source. And they come up with their reasons for that. Others say, no, head means authority. And they come up with their reasons for that. And I've I've watched with interest at this group and this group criticize the other person's position on that. And I think they do a great job of destroying each other. All right, well, that's the very abstract thing. We don't need any of that stuff. We go back to the simple level of abstraction that the two form one unity. They form one unit, one whole body, one functioning togetherness. And it's great. It's a wonderful thing. So husband's ahead of the wife. That's right. Husband and wife form one unit. As Christ is the head of the church. That's right. We have one unit. And you go over into 1 Corinthians, as the father and the son are united. That's right. We have the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Add the Holy Spirit, we have the Trinity. No heresy where people say, well, we've got, you know, God is more important than the submissive son. No, no. We just have a wonderful unity and they're put together and they're reciprocally relating one to another. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And I, and again, I just want to say, when we try to make the New Testament all about power and authority, we're missing the whole point. And so I love this, how you can just read it the way it is. And when you read it the way it is, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> We're called as Christians to do what then? Just what Christ's example was. He loved and mm-hmm. he gave of himself. So in marriage, what are we called to do? We're called to love, agape love, husbands, agape love, wives, agape love, God's love. And we're called to give of ourselves. We're supposed to look for the best. We're supposed to give of ourselves, sacrifice for the other to build up the whole unit. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Well, Bruce, where can people find you? Our website is true316.com. That's tru316.com. And then from there, you'll find links to the Eden podcast or the Book of Eden and, and other things that we do. Great. And I will put those links in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for joining us again. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your ministry, Sheila. Thanks for listening to the Eden podcast. 
Do you have your own copy of the Book of Eden, Genesis 2 to 3, and our other books on the seven key passages on women and men in the Bible? Visit our website at true316.com. Do you want to go deeper? You're invited to enroll in the current study unit of True School. Take a look. Go to true316.com slash school.